You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. What is your favorite season? Anybody have a favorite season? How many of you love spring? How many of you love summer? Woo! How many of you love fall? How many of you love winter? Woo! Now, in San Antonio, it really seems like we have a lot of spring and a lot of summer, maybe a couple weeks of what most people call fall, and, and maybe a day or two of winter from time to time. Some, somebody once said that we have basically three seasons, perfect, hot, and hotter. During, uh, especially from May to August, that definitely relates in that hotter time frame. You know, in the Bible, it also talks about going through seasons of life. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to read this text. It says, for everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up. A time to cry, and a time to laugh. A time to grieve, a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, a time to turn away. A time to search, a time to quit searching. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, a time to mend. A time to be quiet, and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate and a time for war and a time for peace. We experience seasons during life where we have different emotions, different responsibilities. We start off being nervous for that first day of school and in the twinkle of an eye, it seems like we're graduating from high school, trying to decide if we're going to go to college or pick a career. And maybe we have a few different careers. You might get married, you may not. You might have kids, or you may not. Next thing you know, you're to a retirement age. You may enjoy some traveling. You may enjoy seeing some grandkids. You may enjoy all of the various doctor visits. Next thing you know, you're to that last quarter of your life. And during these, this time, there's enjoyable times. Wonderful times, things that mean the world to you, but then there's also tough times. Like Seth mentioned, there's times of pain, of sickness, sometimes of grief, sometimes of financial stress. There's seasons in life. There's seasons in your career. Times that you get excited, times that you feel like you're making a difference, times that you feel like you're being appreciated. And then there's times that your coworkers get on your last nerve. Your boss, you can't stand him anymore. Where you feel underappreciated, like you're not making a difference. And there's seasons in parenting, the lack of sleep season, the buy lots of diapers and milk season, beginning that first day of school, and homework, and more homework, and more homework. And science fair and projects, 
basketball and gymnastics and, and soccer and softball and baseball and recitals and, and all of these wonderful things that our kids do. And then we get to go to fourth and fifth grade camp starting today and Awanas and VBS. And then they become teenagers. Oh, boy. Hormones and emotions. Learning how to drive. Trying to, again, deal with hormones. Going to CIY and being a part of the youth worship. And you have all of these activities. And then they graduate. And you try to encourage them to either go to college or to find a job. And then there's the season to pay for college. And sometimes there's a season of how do I get my kid out of the house? And then sometimes there's a wedding season and how to pay for a wedding. And then sometimes one of the greatest seasons is the grandchildren season. In our spiritual lives, we have seasons. There's times that we feel so close to God. When we turn into God's word, it just seems like every verse speaks to us. When we come in here, we just feel like we're in God's throne room. We just want to constantly be around other Christian people, around a Christian community, because God just seems like he's speaking in so many different ways. Our prayer life is just so powerful. And then there's other times that we seem so far away from God. It seems like when we pray, the prayers just go off the ceiling right back at us. It seems like God is not close to us. We don't necessarily want to be around a bunch of Christians. We're just kind of in a rut. We just don't feel close to God. Even churches experience seasons. There's exciting seasons and there's seasons of ruts and seasons of disappointments. And we experience seasons in relationships, in our friendships, times that we make sweet memories, times that we'll never forget, and times that, man, you're afraid it's just so great and so wonderful. And then there's times that our friendships are strained, that, that are tough. Sometimes even seasons where friendships must die and new ones built. In marriage, we have seasons. And Gary Chapman wrote a great little book called The Four Seasons of Marriage. And this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about these seasons in marriage, but I think they can also apply to life in general. And I want to give you kind of a summary of each season, of some of the characteristics, some of the emotions. And so we're going to start off with spring. Uh, spring is where most marriages begin. It's the excitement of creating a new life together. But it's not exclusively for newlyweds. Optimism is the, uh, is the key theme of this season. You, you're just excited about what God's going to do in this relationship or what God's going to do in your life. The emotions in spring marriage are characterized by excitement, joy, hope, and, and happiness. You, you have feelings of gratitude and optimism and trust. Some of you, you're, you're in that spring season in your marriage relationship or in that spring season in your life. Then there's summer. And fun is the theme of the summer marriage. It's the theme of a summertime in your life. 
Emotions include happiness and satisfaction and accomplishment and connection and peace. And did I say fun? That's what summer is. Everything is just so good. You're so grateful for your relationship and for what God's doing. You just look back and you say, man, could life get any better? And then you hit fall. And these marriages look fine externally. Outsiders may even comment on how happy the couple seems to be. Yet inside the marriage, things are changing. Something's different. Emotions in this season include sadness and apprehension and rejection, resentment, loneliness, emotionally, emotional depletion. You, you just know something is wrong. Something isn't right. There's an uncertainty there. There's, there's issues that are popping up. And you know that you need to do something about it, but you don't know exactly what to do about it. And Gary Chapman says this is a key season. It's kind of a fork in the road. If you take the time to deal with some of these issues that are popping up, then you can easily move back to spring or summer. But if you put your head in the sand, if you don't do anything about it, then you'll end up in winter. And winter is not necessarily a fun season. It's characterized by coldness and harshness and and bitterness. The dreams of spring are covered by layers of ice. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced winter. The emotions that are there are hurt and anger and disappointment. Loneliness, a sense of rejection. The attitudes of spouses in the winter season are pervasive pessimism. Seeing the worst, thinking problems are too big discouragement, hopelessness, and the nasty habit of what? Blaming others. No, none of you would do that in here. But that's what we tend to do in winter. It's it's a lonely season. Psalm 88 kind of gives a picture of what winter may look like. For my life is full of troubles. Death draws near. In winter, it just seems like, man, everything is going wrong. My my life is just full of troubles. In my marriage, oh, everything is so hard. In my job, everything's so hard. My kids, they're just full of trouble. I'm forgotten, cut off from your care. In winter, so often we feel that way. We feel like no one cares. But I'm forgotten. You've thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depth. We feel like we're in the pit. Again, isolated. God, are you there? Do you care? In marriage, does my spouse care? Do my friends care? It's a tough, tough season. There is a positive side, though, of winter. If you're willing to work through it, if you're willing to, to get down to it and, and discuss some of these issues that are, that are hard, Gary Chapman says, couples that tend to maintain hope, people don't lay down in snow and wait to die. They seek help. Trials produce patience and perseverance, and forgiveness makes room for love. If In your marriage, if you're willing to hope and if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to persevere, it can actually make your marriage stronger. How many of you have experienced these seasons in marriage? How many of you have experienced these seasons in life? Raise your hand. I think most of us, we've probably experienced these several different times. 
There's a saying that says marriages are made in heaven, but they sure take a lot of maintenance on earth. (laughs) Isn't that true? Marriage is hard work. Now, during spring and summer, it may not be that hard of work. Everything just clicks. But when you get into fall and winter, it's hard work. It's not easy. And I want to just kind of narrow down just for a few moments on fall and winter. Because if you stay in fall and winter over a long period of time, it can lead to unhealthy marriages. It can lead to a lot of problems in your life. And sometimes it can even lead to divorce. And and we just want to take a few moments just to just to kind of narrow down and look at that, because marriages that are in winter over a long period of time, people feel abandoned and rejected, isolated, unknown and unloved. Recently, my marriage went through a time of fall and winter. As Julie and I reflected on this, we, we realized several things. Like many of you, we have kids to take care of. And they each have their own individual needs. They, they, have, they need our time as we try to develop them into young men. They're a tremendous blessing, but they keep our calendar busy. There's basketball and there's recitals and there's Latin club and journalism and, and so on and so forth. There's just all kinds of different things to do. We have careers that pull us in a lot of different directions. And and we're blessed with our careers. My wife is a teacher, and she loves making a difference in young people's lives, teaching them English and and just investing into them. And and you know that I love being a minister. I love this church very, very much, and there's nothing that I would rather do. But we also have careers that are very demanding, that's stressful at times, times that we have to go to a lot of meetings and emails and texts and phone calls, and it pulls us in a lot of different directions. Our house from time to time needs to be fixed up. We even try to clean up our house from time to time. Try is the key word. We have a dog to take care of. I'm not complaining. I'm just being real. And I think that all of you have things on your list, and it's probably much longer. But but here's what happened in, in my marriage. In the business of life, Julie and I quit pursuing each other. We loved each other, but we focused on other things. And we didn't have the energy, quite honestly, to resolve little conflicts that would pop up. It was just easier to bury it and to keep going. We didn't take the time to to really find out how the other person was feeling. We, We just traded information. Hey, who's taking this person to this ball game or this school event? But we didn't really take the time to to talk. And and here's the ironic thing. I work with marriages all the time that help move people out of fall and winter. But here my marriage somehow had gotten there. Hindsight's 2020. We should have seen our lack of communication and how easily it was to irritate each other. How we would withdraw into our favorite TV show or or movies, or doing house projects, anything not to really communicate. But then there was the day that started off with a simple irritation that turned into an argument, that turned into tears, that turned us into sitting on the bathroom floor, 
away from the kids, realizing how we had drifted apart. We talked about our pain and our frustrations. And that night and over the next few days, we began evaluating our relationship. How do we, how do we get here? And more important, how do we get out of fall and winter? And something that hit me was that we quit pursuing each other. Genesis 2.24 says this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. The root word united is to balk. It means to cling, to adhere, to catch by pursuit, to pursue hard with affection and devotion. And there are several different examples of this word used in, in Scripture. In Psalm uh, chapter 63, 9, it says, I cling to you. Job 41, they are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Judges 20, 45 says, they pursued hard after them. You know, we loved each other. There was no doubt about that. But we didn't always make the extra effort to show that we loved each other. I didn't always listen well to my wife. I thought I was listening, but I really didn't do it well. I didn't ask follow-up questions. I didn't empathize well. I probably rushed to fix whatever she was saying versus really listening to her. I realized that listening is hard work. I'm reminded of the book of James, where it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We both realized that we needed to make our relationship a priority. We, we love our kids, but our kids are only going to be in our house for so long. And we love our careers, and we'll keep on being dedicated to them, but we also needed to take time out to pursue each other, to go out on date nights, to show that we loved each other in special ways. My wife will write me notes, just letting her know that, that she loves me and that she appreciates me. Actually, this morning, I, I woke up and I had a note in my Bible, and she just let me know, hey, Ronnie, I love you, and I just want you to know I appreciate you. Now, here's something that may be a little cheesy to you, but, but this is something that we've come up with, that I got, an, got the idea from another staff member, and I don't know if they meant it for this way or not, but... But instead of saying, I love you, we have a little symbol, a little thing that, that we put out that only Julie and I know. Now, you guys are going to know this now, so let me kind of fill you in on what we do. I, just, I bought two dozen little ducks, and, and I will put these ducks in various places. And when she sees that, guess what? She knows that I'm thinking of her and that I love her. I'll send it with one of my boys to her school, and they'll put it on her desk. And she'll say, oh... My husband loves me. I'll put it on the coffee pot. And I'll put it on the bathroom sink. And I'll put it in places that I know that she'll see it. And she'll put it in my truck. And she'll put it on my desk. And, and we just move these little ducks around. And it's our way of saying, hey, I just want you to know that I love you. I want to pursue you. You're my best friend. You know, sometimes we hear that word, I love you, all the time. But when you think about the little actions that you can do behind the scenes, it makes a world of difference. One of the most helpful things that we've done is we've 
gotten through, I believe, uh, fall and winter is we started doing a devotional together. And at times, we don't have time to read it together. I'm not going to pretend like it's an hour devotional where we each day we, we open it up and we read for an hour and we quote scripture back and forth. But we spend maybe five or ten minutes and we read through it. And sometimes she reads it at a different time than I do. But often we'll put like a little sticky note. And we'll say, hey, this stuck out to me. Or this really convicted me. I'm really sorry that, that I've been falling short in this area. One of the things that I've been trying to do is several times a week, just sending her a text and letting her know, hey, I'm thankful that, uh, of how you do this in my life. I'm thankful how you take care of the boys, or I'm thankful how you come up with delicious suppers for us each time. One of the things that we also did was we spent a lot of time reading through 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. I repeat that to myself a lot. Love is patient. Love is patient. And when people begin to irritate me, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Some of you need it when you're driving. Love is patient. When your kids get on your nerves, love is patient. When your spouse gets on your nerves, love is patient. I I, I say that to myself a lot. But one of the other things that we learned is to forgive each other quickly. We, we learn that, that life is too short to keep on holding on to things, to forgive each other. You're on the same team. It's been said that great marriages don't just happen. They're intentionally built one day at a time. You know, as painful as fall and winter has been, it helped Julie and I grow closer together. We appreciate each other more. We've seen how God has worked in these seasons in our marriage. And some of you, maybe you've, you're experiencing fall and winter right now. And I, can I just encourage you, don't give up hope. Keep on persevering. It will make you stronger. Some of you, maybe you're going through fall and winter in your life. It, it's a difficult time. And what we tend to do in fall and winter is we tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to move away from our spouse or we tend to move away from people. Whether it's going through grief or going through financial stress or going through health problems, we tend to move away. You know what we need most? We need community. We need each other. And could I just encourage you, if you're going through a hard time, don't withdraw. Don't isolate yourself. But let us put our arms around you. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. We, we want to love you. I think we all know people who are going through fall and winter. And, and I see it time and time again. And, and, you know, I try to give them a call. I try to give them a text. But people just tend to isolate themselves. And I, and I really think it's unhealthy. Can we just make an effort to plug in even when we're going through those tough seasons in life? whether it be Sunday school or a small group or a way to serve. And I want you to look around and I want you to think, hey, this person might be going through fall or winter. They may need some extra TOC. Could you ask the question, what could I do? Could I give them a call? Could I take them out for coffee? Could I take them out for Sunday for lunch? Could I write them a little encouraging note? Would I be faithful in praying with them? You know, each week we've been making a vow and and last week we made this vow. I promise God will be my first priority. We want God to be the foundation of our relationships, the foundation of our lives. 
But this week, I, I have two vows. I'm cheating. Don't tell the other guys this, okay? But, but I'm cheating. If you're married, I, I'm going to ask that you make this vow. I promise to always pursue my number two. If you're married, would you repeat that with me? I promise to always pursue my number two. We know that God is our number one, but we promise to pursue each other, to go the extra mile. And then if you're not married, or if you just want to say it anyway, I promise to always pursue community. Would you repeat that with me? I promise to always pursue community. We need each other as a faith community. 